Pet Chat. Welcome. It's Sarah here. We've got Cheryl Shaw. Lovely to have you, Cheryl. Oh, thank you, Sarah. And Dr. David Tabrick. Good to see you as always. Good to see you, Sarah. Now, you're a little bit uh, psychic. You've walked into mm-hmm. me and you've just said, look, mm-hmm. there's been an issue uh, on the roads. Have you heard of it yet? I just checked roads and traffic. I hadn't. I was listening to Mark Rourke. Mm-hmm. He, he he needed to check in with me, Sarah. That's exactly right. Look, mm. there has been a two-car accident on Park Avenue heading up towards Charlestown Road. Traffic in both directions has been affected. Well, that's because I just live around the corner and I couldn't go up Park Avenue. You couldn't, yeah. <laughs> I had to come the other way to get here. There you go. But look yeah. how quickly that information got to us without you, David. But thank goodness we did have you. I'm feeling so useful. Pet Chat. We've got Dr. David Tabret here to answer any of your questions. Now, Cheryl, for our regular listeners, they would know that I guess it's a little game we play almost. Uh, to find out the topic you're talking about today, you always wear a brooch that is relevant to the topic. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I try hard there, Sarah. Oh, you do so well. You've got a little Dalmatian today with a fire hat on. Is that right? I'm just sort of yeah that's right it's a little little dalmatian which usually are associated with firemen now before we go into um the topic how many brooches do you own like oh, Sarah. higher or lower than 500 oh be higher <gasps> where do you keep them well, it was really lucky that Zara moved out of home because I've taken over her wardrobe and in the top two drawers are the brooches. Wow. So they well, fit into some two drawers. of them. Yeah. Some of them because some are in bags. But I also have them in categories. So, you know, we're talking pets, but we're also talking other aspects of my life like, you know, flowers, golf, whatever it is, I'd have a brooch to wear to it. So you do categorise mm-hmm. them and that's yeah. how you – because, I mean, trying to look through 500-plus brooches, yeah. that would be hard every no. day to find you. Categorise and cross-reference. That's and it, David. You've got me down. That's am- He's already called me was, a melder today. I was going to say, what did um, you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just getting that uh, your David's at home going, oh, we've got more room. That means more brooches. <laughs> Quick, they're coming. I'm going to be invaded. <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. So, look, we've got the Dalmatian with yes. the fire hat on. What is our topic yes. that we're going to chat about today? It's about emergency plans and your pet. Emergency plans and your pet. I'm, this may surprise you. I don't have one. Oh, Sarah, do you live near Bushland? Yeah, okay. I'm in Charlestown. We're yes. going to give you some homework. Now, Cheryl, we're talking about an emergency plan for our pets. I guess it's something a lot of us don't think of. We may think of an emergency plan for ourselves, but when it comes to the crunch, a lot of people aren't just going to leave their their pets. You know, it's something you, you want to plan so you can action it. Yeah, and, and, and it is something. I mean, in my work, and I'm, I know, David, you'd have an evacuation plan for your work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when you've got pets, it's really important that you do have a plan in place because anything can happen at any time. Like at the moment, they're predicting really bad weather for spring and summer, dry, hot weather, which is going to bring a lot of fires. But mm. there's other other emergencies as well that can occur, anything from storms to floods earthquakes even in Newcastle. So you've got to think about what you would do if if you've got pets. What's going to happen with them? I was feeling for all of the pets outside last night. That wind was horrific. I didn't even want Gizzy to do a wee because I thought he'd blow away. (laughs) (laughs) Poor little Gizzy. I mean, you've got to think about this sort of thing. Well, put him on a leash and take him Mm. out so he doesn't blow away. Then they'll both blow away. See, this is why why you're the expert here, Cheryl. (laughs) Okay, let's get a little bit serious. It is a concern that we've got a lot of 
bush around and that if we do have this dry weather that's predicted, if we have bushfires, that we do have a plan put in place for our pets. So if you haven't got a plan, it's time to think about what you would do. If there is an emergency, you've got to make sure that if it's predicted and you know it's about to happen, that you you gather your pets together, particularly your cats and dogs, because often when there's lots of, you know, um, there's noise from fire, there's all of that stress, there's that panic, you're not thinking clearly. And if your pets are to take off, you may not get them in time. So with a cat in particular, pop the cat in the cat cage. At least if you've got it in the cage, you know where it is in mm. case you do need to, to move quickly. If you don't have a cage for your dog, putting your dog on a leash and keeping it with you by your side is a really good idea because pets do pass panic in this situation yeah. yep. they can take off and run because they're really confused as well um, they're feeling your stress your anxiety and they can just you know take off make sure and I know I harp on this so regularly if your dog or cat um, isn't wearing an ID you need to get it you need to make sure that your microchipping is up to date and that your cat or dog has a tag on with a phone number so you have the best chance of getting them back yeah, if be- they do run because if they do take off or if you're not home and they, they get out in a, in a situation like this you need to be able to contact um, or somebody contact you to return them another thing is that Having a backpack made up with some things in it, one of the things that's a great idea to have is a a current photograph of your animal just in case it does get lost. Okay. You might want to put up posters or things like that, you know, in case somebody finds your pet. Um, The another thing is too that often... um, you know, if you do have a fire and things are lost, if you've got a copy of, of your dog's up-to-date immunisation, papers like that, their pedigree papers, anything like that, pop them in the pack. If your dog or cat is on medication, again, you need to make sure that you've got that medication. If you're going to be evacuating your home, you need to make sure in your backpack for your animal that you've got that medication there because you don't know how long you may be displaced from where you live so it's really important that you're not going to be worrying about oh I haven't got the medication how am I going to get that there's going to be enough going on in the crisis that's happening Um, it's really important too that you um, make sure that you've got your food your water the things like that even with birds you know if you've got a cage bird just making sure that you can grab the bird and the seed quickly so having access to those things in an emergency is it's quite one less stress you have to follow up on yeah, after yeah absolutely um, and you know we always need to be prepared you know that boy scout motto is so important we hope nothing ever happens but if you've got a plan in place you're more likely to have success with you know keeping your animals with you and you know not having to worry about where they are what's happened and um, just making sure that they're safe. Yeah, most definitely. Some good advice. And, and as you said, heading into bushfire season, they've brought it forward this year. I always worry about, and I know there's not a lot you can do, property, horses, cattle, yes. that sort of thing. You know, I think of Madawi a couple of years ago, and that's a really tough one. So I guess just as many things as you can possibly put in place beforehand just gives you that extra preparation yeah. if and something I think, was to happen. I think just sitting down with the family or, you know, who, whatever the, the family unit is and having a chat about what we would do, how can we help the situation, what if this occurred or that occurred. But, you know, having that chat, just saying how can we put things in, in place to help our pets. Some really good thoughts. Thank you, Cheryl. My pleasure.
Cheryl, you were just mentioning to Dr. David Tabret off air that your dogs have got weepy eyes at the moment. I think a lot of us have our, in our own eyes a weepy. Is this the allergies with all the pollen and the wind and everything that's been going on? Well, I believe it is, Sarah, because at my place there's certainly a lot of um, you know activity with the flowers all blooming mm. and there's been lots of um, wind and dust. So I think it's affected both of my dog's eyes. Do you mm. see this a lot at this time of year, David, and how do we treat it? Yeah, I was just saying to Cheryl, I had a patient come in last week actually with exactly the same ah, problem. Okay, and uh, it, this was when we had a, before the rain, we had a yes. lot of that uh, very windy, the dry gusty days. Yeah, yeah. and um, so what we see with a lot of dogs is that you may get control of their allergies through medication or habituation, or you know you're, you're treating their skin otherwise and things like that. And then you get these really blowy days and there's particles and pollens and everything coming from miles and hundreds of miles away. So they're get not used to in. them. On top of that, though, we do have this seasonal bloom where your dog might, their immune system has settled down over the course of the year and then suddenly we're back into spring and, you know, we've had warmer winter, obviously, and yes. so you end up with early blooming of the pollens around. Yeah, and a lot of dust too, David. I mean, Lots, yeah. you know, incredible amount of dust around. My son's asthma's through the roof at the moment. It's just that mm. time of year with the warm weather and the cold weather. Every second person's got the flu again and is unwell. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tricky time of year to navigate. Yeah, and health. the interesting thing is that with the dogs with, you know, whether it's weepy eyes or um, their paws or their skin, what's actually happening is that the pollen or the allergen gets into their system through the mucous membrane. So that could be the eye, mm. but it can be through they inhale it and then mm. it causes inflammation in either their skin, often around their pores, for There's instance. There's a lot of licking of the pores yeah. with, with dogs in particular, I've noticed. Or or, th- or it comes out through their eyes, but that's not, you know, it, that doesn't mean that the problem got in through there. I mean, right. it usually would, but yeah. not always. Okay. So, Something yeah. to uh, be mindful of, I guess, if your, your pet is licking paws a lot or itchy skin yeah. or a lot weepy of, eyes. A lot of uh, pet owners will, um, you know, see that happening now. And you can you can help them Back though. Again. There is medication. Absolutely. To yeah. yeah. Now, Dr. David Tabret, you heard mm. Dr. Paul McCarthy talk about uh, great. tick. Yep. Great prevention. segment last week. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. I think um, you know Cheryl, you and Paul reminded a lot of us to make sure that we are on top of our tick prevention. And you wanted yes. to just reinforce some things that were said. So yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things Paul mentioned uh, last week, which I would um, reinforce through our hospitals' experience, is that we do see tick patients all year round so that is uh you know certainly there's a surge in the warmer weather from now on but we do want to re-emphasize or emphasize to people that maintain tick prevention all year round and the other thing i was just saying to cheryl the newer products like the osoxazalines which are available and they um have been so effective there's some early data coming out that looks like the number of dogs affected or treated for tick poisoning uh, has dropped by 70%. Wow, that's huge. Isn't that amazing? That is huge. It is massive. So do we know what the stats are if you're using your preventative regularly as instructed, Mm -hmm. what the percentage is of the possibility of then getting a tick? Is it like minute chance? Do we know those stats? Well, we've we've always said is that, uh, you know, there's nothing that is 100%. Yes. 
Um, and to be fair, I think most of that, and to the product as much as anything, is compliance, is that it's put on regularly. You know, the ba- dog's bathing habits are, um, you know, what they should be for that product and so on. But to see, you know, the reduction by 70%, I think, just shows that we can get on top of the problem and um, people are more aware, which is great. We're going to go to the phones now. Rob from East Maitland, you've got a question for Dr. David Tabrit about your 14-year-old Pinsar. Yeah, hello, David. G'day, um, Rob. I've got a 14-year-old min, a min pin. Yes. And she's on a, on a fair bit of medication. So she was, uh, she's a rescue dog from the RSPCA and she was, um, she was knocked around by the, by the people that bought her. Um, and it took about oh, four or five years for, for her to trust me, but even now she's quite skittish. So she's on medication for that, and also she's had a couple of turns. She's got a bit of a heart problem too. So, um, you know, I feel like the village apothecary when I'm, I'm mixing the dinner up at the night time. <laughs> but like, even, even with that, she's just she's insatiable when it comes to food. She she doesn't doesn't chew. She just inhales food. And you know, short, and if you've got you're sitting down and she's sort of looking at you and jumping up and down, oh, it's you know, it's just got it's driving us around the twist. So I was just wondering what we could do to bulk up a dinner to sort of you know try to try to fill up a hollow legs. <laughs> and for those who don't know, a miniature pincher looks like a shrunken Doberman. Okay, <laughs> they they're really small. But they, they're gorgeous-looking dogs, but you can just imagine this probably eating as much or wants to eat as much as a full-size dog. Prob- yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've got that image in my head, which is quite amusing. Uh, Rob, you mentioned about the medication, and I just wanted a quick rundown. You also said a couple of uh, problems, uh, medical conditions, heart disease, anxiety. So just what were the medications that you're giving? I'm at work at oh, the right. moment, so I, mean, I, I couldn't tell you. But um, uh, Cardashore, I think, is one is, is, yes. is one of the heart heart medications. Yeah. She gets half of that um, a day, um, and then uh, there's another half half another two tablets, and then a full tablet uh, Tremadol. Yes. Okay. Um, so and there is yep. a, there is a, a drug that is commonly used in dogs for a whole lot of different reasons uh, that can often stimulate the appetite appetite quite dramatically, and that's prednisolone or prednisone. Yeah, um, yeah no, I don't. Yeah, I don't think she's on that. But yeah, you because know, like sometimes they they have different names anyway. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so back then to if we can kind of think that's you know of the known medical conditions. There may be something there that stimulates the appetite. On the other hand, um, and we don't often see dogs with kind of these medical problems that where their appetite goes up, it usually goes down, but there are actually some medical conditions where the appetite goes up. So uh, one would be uh, Cushing syndrome, which is effectively an increase in cortisol inside the body, and that's the same as prednisolone. And that does occur reasonably frequently with older dogs. Um, there might be some other symptoms we see there where they're drinking a lot, urinating a lot. They can have skin changes. Um, and usually your veterinarian can, you know, screen your dog for that problem. We also see more, not so much in dogs, but in cats, we will see, we can see this in dogs, is hyperthyroidism. So that's where the thyroid gland 
is more active, and that actually stimulates appetite increase as well. Um, there's probably a few other more bizarre conditions. They're the ones that come to me off the top of my head. And the other thing we do see is some dogs with uh, what we call mal um, malutilization or malabsorptive disease can also have an increased appetite. So this is gastrointestinal disease where, uh, or a metabolic disease where they're not actually absorbing food and so effectively they're starving and they just want to eat more. A lot of those dogs, though, would have a chronic diarrhea. Um, and so if you rule that out, the other one is the malutilization, and the most common one we see is diabetes. So uh, a lot of dogs often will develop an increased appetite with that, in, particularly in the early stages. So there is quite a bit of a laundry list, and I think it's probably worth reviewing with your veterinarian just to make sure, um, because oftentimes, you know, older dogs do get more problems there they're more likely to. So I'd check that. The other thing you mentioned about maybe is there a way to bulk up the diet? Certainly you can add fiber um, in the form of uh, vegetables like beans, carrots um, is the most common way. Sometimes adding Metamucil will work, but I would want to uh -huh. make, I'd want to make sure we don't have one of those other health problems first. Because we'll, we'll, um, she she even eats uh, like we'll, we'll buy a, a stick of broccoli and and cut off all all the, the, the top of the broccoli and we'll we'll peel the the, the, the core of it um, and steam that and put that and she has no problems at all eating that she'll eat absolutely anything she likes oh, the food yeah she really likes the food you get her to train the kids. Eat the veggies. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Um, but yeah, there's there's quite a few medical things I think right. to follow up there. Good luck yep. with that, Rob. Now you're looking at urine today, David. Well, I'm not looking at it, but we we can talk as about long as you're it. Not smelling it. Oh dear. Oh, well, come dear. on, you're a professional. <laughs> you're doing better at this than I am. <laughs> but uh, this is a, this is a common problem. We yeah. see cats cats who don't want to use the litter tray or they're actually going to the litter tray and they're, they're unable to pass anything. And uh, I, this is prompted because I saw a patient last week that came in and the client, the pet owner said, so my cat went in the litter tray, passed a small amount of blood and then went mm. out, went back in two minutes later, out, back in, did that 15 times. There's an issue there. Mm. So one of the things I'm really worried about, and this is more often male cats than female cats, but it can occur in female cats. So it's more often male cats, and there's two groups. There's young cats and very older cats. So you kind of don't see it in the four- to eight-year-old group. You see it in the kind of two-year-olds and then the ten-year-olds. Okay. Right? Two different populations and usually two different types of disease. So the younger cats, and, and well, actually for both groups, the really emergent part of this, the emergency part, is making sure they don't have a blockage in the bladder. So That's where obviously time is very much of the essence. Yes. I mean, the kidneys do a very important job of getting rid of waste product, and if we can't get that out of our system, the waste product is going to cause problems in the bloodstream and effectively you know, cause problems with the brain and kidney damage and... All sorts of things. So blockages in the bladder are a real problem. And you can't often, you can't tell. A cat will go and strain in a litter tray. It could be blocked. It may not. Maybe it's got a cystitis 
uh, inflammatory cystitis and in inflammation of the bladder, or maybe it's actually got a blockage. So we need to make sure we're clear on that. Now, there's some. this is a huge topic, so we're only just going to scrape the surface, um, but there are some really good references, and just for people to know, if there's a, a site that we use has some really good animal topics, um, and it's got uh, vets from all over the world who write. They write the content specialists, and it's called veterinarypartner.org. And that's a worthwhile place to go read about this. So we've talked about uh, male, female, age groups. We've talked about obstructed, non-obstructed. So what actually happens? Um, if we take a look at the older cats, they may have obstructed through crystals. They may have an infection or they may have a tumour. They're the three things we worry about. Crystals are basically salts that have come together in the urine and they stick together and then they form little sand and then the sand comes together and forms bigger crystals and if the crystals come together they form a bladder stone which literally looks like a stone okay and they're bad if you get those they often need surgery sometimes they can be treated with medication so the other ones tumors we would diagnose with ultrasound or x-ray things like that um infections we may need to do a urine culture um, to diagnose that so they're your older cats younger cats we tend to see they get problems because 90 percent of the time 99 percent of the time stress really stress wasn't yeah. expecting that i know i know stress so they don't get infections these are male cats you know young the incidence of infection with these cats is like less than two percent some people say up to five but i've never seen anybody say more than five um, and, you know, people come in and go, oh, my cat's got a bladder infection. They usually haven't. What are they stressed about? Oh, that's a very important part of this. So a uh, lot of different things. Anything that changes in the environment. Okay. So you move house, your cat will get stressed. You get a dog, your cat gets stressed. You get a baby, your cat gets stressed. You wear a different perfume, your cat gets stressed. Chill out, cats. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to help them chill out. So the... I've got a couple of rules that I use to treat this problem when cats come in. First of all, we want to make sure they don't have an obstruction. That's bad. Yep. Second thing is I talk to people and I say, how many cats do you have? How many litter trays do you have? Because this is, I didn't know this. More is mm. good. Not, you don't just have one litter tray. No, one per cat plus one. Wow. So if you've got five cats and the people out there <laughs> listening, who know, they, you know who you are. <laughs> You need six litter trays. And I would suggest different types of litter trays, you know, like with some oh, with covers. So and... not plus one per cat. No, 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 one, no. One per cat. Then plus one on top of that because I was thinking that's really going to No, no, up. you don't need ten litter trays. Oh, phew. That will be a full-time job. It would be. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd. That will take up as much room as Cheryl's brooches. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need. So if you've got one cat, you need two trays, two cats, you need three trays, okay. so on. Different types of trays, maybe if you've got that many trays. If you've only got two trays, I, I wouldn't have that many. I wouldn't have different ones. But I would probably try different litter. So you can get the sand litter, you can get the pebble, you can get the crystals, you know, the, the, crystals, the mm. soaking crystals, you can get the crushed paper or you can get the compressed paper. Lots of different ones. Try that. Um, so different litter. Different places don't have two litter trays side by side because <laughs> okay. the whole idea is to give the cat a little bit of, you know, variation there because sometimes they don't want to be uh, 
in front of everybody. <laughs> they don't want to be on display. Um, and they don't want to be in a thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. So think about that. But the big one we use is Feliway. I've talked about it before when people ring up. The spray. So it comes as spray or it comes as a diffuser. And Feliway is actually cat pheromone. So when a cat comes up and they rub against you uh, with their face, what they're doing is, I know it's cute and all, but they're actually spreading pheromones all over you. They're rubbing their pheromones on you. That's nice. Well, it's special. For other cats. (laughs) (laughs) That is special, isn't it? So that's when they come up with their little nose and they do that big rub and then they turn around and they do the rub. Oh, I just thought they were being really friendly. Did we get that on camera? I did do Sarah was just... Just demonstrating what cats do when they're rubbing against you. Oh. Yeah. No, well, they are being friendly because actually it's a friendly pheromone. They're, they're feeling calm. They're feeling comfortable. Cats also do, when they get stressed, they secrete other pheromones into their urine. So what we do is we bring in Feliway, which is the pheromone that comes from their face. They feel calm. So they walk into a room and they go, ooh. This, this is, is a good. nice room. I can do my business here. I'm, I'm good. Well, they're, but they're calm. So they're not going to be thinking, oh, my God, everything's under attack. I, I need, you know, I'm stressing out. So interesting, cats. Oh, they're fascinating. Yeah. They're really, they're the high maintenance of the, you know, of the animal world. Yes. All the cat lovers well, are going we, to go, we that's not true. We it's haven't. Not- we haven't worked out the intricacies, have we, of cat Very psychology? Pet chat and hello to Diane from Soldiers Point. You've got a question about cats and pheromones. Yes, I wonder whether you had to go to the vet to get the pheromones or whether you could pick it up at a, um, at a pet shop. Um, I'm pretty sure you can. There are some pet stores that would stock this product. It's not a prescription product, so... Um, it's a really interesting uh, product. So what actually happened was they genetically coded the pro- the protein from cats. So they don't have to squeeze cats or anything to get it. <laughs> and then what they did was they uh, fed the, or put the genetic uh, coding and altered bacteria, and then they can actually pump out the protein Jeez. in big vats and purify it. And there you go. You got yourself a cat protein. That's very cool. Isn't and it? then they put it in a bottle. And ship it around the world. It's a French product, actually. So, yeah. That doesn't surprise me, yeah. (laughs) That's cat perfume. But it's actually, um, so I mentioned just briefly, it comes as a little spray bottle. uh, And that's my preferred option for most people. I think it's probably more economical and it's a bit more mobile. The other one is a diffuser that, you know, you plug into the wall. Um, into a PowerPoint and, you know, it just releases into the room. But the one that you have as a spray bottle, what you do is all all you need to do is once a week just go to the doorway in each room and just at about cat level just put one little spray and that's it. That's all you need to do. It's very simple and um, if you're moving cats and what we do is in our hospital is uh, we actually have a bank of cages that is separate from dogs. We spray uh, the cages with the feliway, and if we use any cat cages, we spray the cage with feliway. So when we put the cat into the cage or into that little um, carry cage, they, they're feeling, oh, this isn't too bad, My, you know, yeah. rel- relatively. But I'm pretty sure most places you'd be able to get it. I mean, it's not available at the supermarket or anything, but um, no. yeah. 
So, but you think it would be from a pet shop? Yeah, yeah. I certainly know that vets certainly do have it um, or could order it in, but uh, it's pretty widely available and it's been around for a long, long time. Thank you for your call, Diane. We're going to have a look at our dog of the week. Now, we've got Sammy today. Sammy is a four-month-old boxer cross. Uh, he's a beautiful boy. He's got so much love to give. He loves people and cuddles. He's a real smoocher uh, and a good companion. Uh, he's got a soft heart. He's quiet and relaxed. Apparently, his beautiful soft nature is what makes him so special. He's a healthy puppy. He's been raised in a home environment. He's been very well socialized with other dogs. He loves to play with other dogs. He's met lots of different people and is very friendly and affectionate with all of them. Also great with kids. Uh, he lets he lets his uh, current foster owners know when it's time for the toilet, even during the night. So he's toilet trained, but he's four months old. So you'd have to obviously wow. continue that um, when you were the new owner. Keep that coming in. He sits, he stays for dinner. So he's, you know, he's doing pretty good. And he'll grow up to be a medium to large dog. So if you're interested in Sammy, he does look like a beautiful boy, doesn't he? He does. just want to smooch him. <laughs> We're going to take one mm. final call now. Uh, we've got Sam from Carrington, and you've got a question about cat litter trays. Yes, that's correct, uh, Charlie. I, I, I inherited a little ginger kitten about 10 or 12 years ago. He's about nearly nine kilos now, and uh, the only, thing, only change is he lost half a tail. But he's never had a litter tray in his life. He's always been someone that would sleep inside, scratches the door, bangs on the door when he wants to go out. Um, yeah, I tried with the trays, he just wouldn't take to it. But he, he'll always let you know um, when he wants to go outside. And he's a cat that is used to living inside, of course. And uh, like last night with all that rain, he wanted to go out, came back, towed him off, gave mm. him a little bit to eat. And so am I just blessed, or um, uh, ginger cats, the exception to the norm, like they, they seem to be in everything. Well, I don't, I don't know that it's due to the colour of the cat, but uh, look, it is a training thing. You know, we were just talking about Sammy the dog who has to be house trained, and I think cats are the same. And certainly they may have bad experiences early on where they're, you know, a bit averse to using a litter tray. So I think that I would, um, you know, you're probably not going to pursue that training at this stage, but uh, just be aware in case, you know, the n- neighbourhood changes. Yeah, and okay. a stray dog comes in and your cat's outside. So, yeah, he is known as the king of Carrington. And uh, well, you're the mayor of Carrington, aren't you? I know who this Sam is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you now? Yes. <laughs> and so do I, Sam. Ah, uh, Sam knows everyone. He does. He has a lot of coffees with my sister-in-law and her oh. gorgeous baby. Yeah, there you go. There you go. See, Newcastle, it's a small place. It's a friendly place. That's why we love it. We do. Yeah, a yeah. bit of a plug for Newy there, Newcastle. All right, I think that's it for us. We've been nattering on. Pet Chat will be back next week. Cheryl Shaw, mm-hmm. Dr. David yes. Tabrit, thank See you. Ya. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.